This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, I'm Frederick Fekai, and welcome to The Fekai Life, a podcast about some of the most impactful causes of our time and the creative minds that power them. My name is Nader Naimirad, and to me, clean living means removing all toxic people out of your life. For me, clean living is more a state of mind. It's having a healthy mind, having a healthy attitude, a healthy perspective on life. And one of the important ways to achieve that is to remove people from your life who cause the opposite. They cloud your view, they sow doubt in your mind, they cause you to question who you are and your value. So to be successful and be, in my mind, have a clean living, you have to have the people in your life who will help you get there mentally. It takes a real leader to provide a platform for entrepreneurs everywhere to better understand the driving force behind independent and digital first beauty brands today. We're chatting with my good friend, Nader Naimirad, co-founder of Andy Beauty Media Group. Well, good morning, Nader. It's so good to have you. And I'm actually very impressed that I'm on the other side of the fence this time and interviewing you as opposed to uh, what you've done already many times with me. Uh, Nader, you and I know each other for quite some time now. And, uh, you know, I never actually ask you, uh, you know, what is your background? Where did What did you do before? You did your Andy Beauty Expo, and uh, and we we'll talk about beauty independent after. But tell, tell, I want to hear a little bit more about your life, your history, where you come from, and what made you who you are. You want the Nader story, right? Yes, Frederick. As as you may recall, I'm kind of an accidental beauty professional, and um, my background really was uh, in a different industry. I, I again by accident, interestingly enough, I ended up in the life sciences industry, which is biopharmaceuticals. I got into that after university. When I moved to America, I met a gentleman there called John Campbell, who um, I worked for, and he became my business partner. And we formed a company called Campbell Alliance, which over the years became one of the largest specialized management consultancies in, in life sciences. I was there for 15 years. We built the company from two people to over 400 with 14 offices around the world. And that was a hell of a journey for, and I was still young. I mean, when we built the company, I was mostly in my 20s and 30s. And um, I learned a lot building Campbell Alliance, both in terms of how to build a services organization. And then being that we were a consulting firm, helping my clients build their companies, which at the time were a lot of young biotech companies. And in many ways, biotech companies are the indie companies of the pharmaceutical world. They're the disruptors, Mm -hmm. they're the challengers. And we were there while all that was happening. Companies that back then were relatively small newcomers like Amgen, Genentech, Celgene are now among the top 10, 15 in the world um, in terms of revenue market cap. So seeing that revolution happen and being a part of it 
taught me a lot. Building an organization from scratch taught me a lot. And in 2011, we sold uh, and I left after a year. I stayed as CEO and I left. And then I decided to do something completely different. I was kind of done with that life. As I said, I, I studied history and philosophy in college. I, I never really had a, 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 a pension for science, but I enjoyed consulting. I was good at it. And the life science industry was fascinating, fast moving, you know, a lot of technology and, and changing people's lives. You know, if you look at cancer today, you know, it used to be a death sentence. Now it's increasingly being managed as a chronic disease. So it was very rewarding to be a part of that journey. But when I stopped working, I want to do something different. And a good friend of mine, Jillian Wright, who had a very successful um, spa in New York, she was an aesthetician. She'd been doing that for almost 15 years, had a, an incredible client list. I was lucky enough to get a gift certificate from a colleague of mine to go see her. And we became very good friends. Every month, I would, regardless of what was going on in my life, I would go and see Jillian. She was very good at her job. And Around 2014, she decided, 2013, she decided to launch her own skincare line and she asked me for some advice and I gave her my thoughts, but I didn't know much about the beauty industry. So she took that and went along her way, launched her brand. And then in late 2014, she approached me and said, you know, this is going well, but she's finding that the current ecosystem in the beauty industry is not really suited for small brands. And she was having a hard time getting her product to the next level. And one of the areas she was thinking about was an expo for other brands of her kind. And in March of 2015, uh, she asked me if I would help her with that. And I was really as a friend, I said, sure, I, I believed in Jillian. She's an incredible woman. And I, I really knew whatever she did, she would eventually make it work. And to me, it was interesting. It was something very different. Um, and it was in New York, which is which is where I was based at the time. So we started that journey in March of 2015. But uh, to kind of go back to your original question, I did not come from the beauty industry. This was very much an accidental. It was by chance that through Jillian, I became introduced to it. And then once we did the first expo, then, you know, everything changed. Then I became much more thoughtful about the industry and what I do. Yeah, we love accident. This is a great, great accident, by the way. But, yeah, you know, like you, I, you were a soccer player, you were a lawyer, you were everything, and then suddenly you have like the... Accidents, exactly. So in the past few years, there's a whole new language when it comes to beauty. We talked about clean, we talk about natural, we talk about no nasties and so, so on, and endy. You have so much to do, the perception of the word endy in the industry. So tell me. What does Andy Beauty mean to you, but also mean to everyone else? I mean, your point is exactly right. That was my first question when I was talking to Jillian, uh, which was, well, what, what does this mean? You know, we've heard of indie music uh, back in the 90s. It was kind of a trend and other terms of indie, but I didn't really know what it meant in beauty. And as I spoke more to her, I came to realize that the general consensus was indie meant a small startup challenger brand. Um, so it really reflected a stage in the life cycle, meaning you're early in the life cycle of the brand and you're on the smaller side. And as we started our journey together, I never forget, Jill and I were sitting in the offices of our PR firm. One of the smartest things we did was to actually hire a PR agency, um, Blue Sky PR agency. I, I, I no, never forget them. And 
they told us, they said, listen, you guys need to put a stake in the ground and define this because a lot of people are asking what is indie. And so we said, that's a fair point. If we're going to serve indie brands, we have to have a, a good idea of what that means. And so the definition we ended up going was to really not so much focus on the stage of life cycle or size, even though those are typical traits associated with an indie brand. We really went with the word independent. We said, what's the technical definition or a proxy for independence? And the way we defined it was the company is 50% or more owned by those who are directly operating the brand. In other words, the people working in the brand have the power, the discretion to do what they feel is necessary and are thus independent. Whereas if you're a portfolio brand, part of a larger conglomerate, you don't really have that independence. You know, the person running, I don't know, L'Oreal Paris line can go tomorrow and say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to totally change the packaging or we're going to stop putting this ingredient in. I mean, there's a whole process they have to go through. There's a board of directors, you know, is, is very different. So independent is what we really focused on. And when you look at independent brands, you see that they are disproportionately younger and they're disproportionately smaller than other brands. But there are many independent brands out there who are larger, mid-sized, and been around for a while. In Europe in particular, there are a lot of family-owned independent brands that we don't know in the US, but they are like in fashion, you see them too. Um, so that's been our definition. And what has always attracted us about independent brands is the innovation they bring to the table, is the freshness, the different perspective, the mission-driven aspect of what they do. And so that has also become part of the indie lore is brands that are groundbreaking, that are disruptors, that are challenging the status quo. But for us, again, to answer your question, we went with the kind of, you know, are they technically in a position to be independent? And even the other 50% could be owned by VCs or family or maybe other companies, but at least the people directly running the brand control the decision making. You know, it, I, I love when you say that, but it's true that also indie is, to me, a synonym to disruptive, you know, uh, to be thinking out of the box and to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, obviously uh, not following the, the guideline of the, of the big brand. So you obviously know and work with so many beauty founders. What was the first founder-led brand that really knocked your socks off, inspired you? Well, uh, there's so many. It's like, you know, it's like me asking you, what was the one client that really changed your view of how to be a, you know, a work on people's hair? But I will tell you, there is one brand that I've, I've, I always remember, and not always for good things, and, and, and you'll see in a moment why, but it's Innersense. And it's actually a hair care brand, interestingly enough. Um, Greg Starkman and his wife were one of our first exhibitors at the Indie Beauty Expo. And I never forget Greg because I had to spend quite a bit of time on the phone with him before our first show answering what seemed to be an endless number of questions. And he was a classic cynical buyer. I mean, he wanted to do the show, but he almost had to put me through my paces. And so when we did the first expo and he showed up, um, I was expecting a, a demon. I was expecting this guy to be a real pill. Just, oh, he turned out to be one of the nicest people I've ever met. He's also very, very charming. He's genuine. He, he just one of the nicest people. And uh, 
His product is something that back in 2015, when we had our first expo, um, you know, my view of hair care products, similar to what you said when, when you were looking at your brand, was, you know, they're, they're there, you know, they're good, they're okay. But his product really captured the essence of who he is. And, um, you know, the journey that they had to go through in, in starting their family. And so it was one of the very first instances where I developed an emotional relationship with a beauty product in a category that I felt was completely a commodity category. And so um, he was one of those first brands and he's been a repeat exhibitor with us and we've always kept in touch. He's also been on my show and the other brand that I want to mention is in a very different category and it's Au Naturel. Ashley Prangi uh, is the founder of that brand. She is a scientist by training. Um, I believe she worked for the, uh, the Nuclear Commission, the U.S. Nuclear Commission. But she just went in a completely different direction and started this cosmetic, color cosmetic brand called Au Naturel. She was also one of our first exhibitors. And one thing about her that really stood out to me was the uncompromising view she had of ingredients and the complete can-do attitude. And this was the first time I met someone who just would not allow anything to stand in her way. She was this force of nature that was going to make a difference in the world, whether we were there or not, whether people agreed with her. And her brand is still around today and growing. And that was the first instance where I met what I call a Toby, today's beauty innovator, a relatively young, well-educated professional who's not an expert in beauty, who's not an ex-beauty executive, but is a very independent-minded, driven individual who will accomplish their mission, innovate in whichever way they need to to get the job done. You co-founded Andy Beauty Media Group, which produce events like the Andy Beauty Expo and really fights to get smaller brand great visibility. Was there a light bulb moment for you where you realized beauty entrepreneurs needed a leg up to get attention and a support system for that? Absolutely. As we were getting, when we launched Indie Beauty Expo formally and announced that it was going to be available, it was towards the end of March 2015. And we had rented a small space in New York for August, which in case you don't know, is the cheapest time to do a show in New York because nobody wants space in August. <laughs> well, we, I mean, look, we didn't know what we were doing. We were not expo professionals. We didn't tell our high school guidance counselor want to be in the expo business. For Jillian, it was a necessity. For me, it was a, it was a way to help my friend. And so, you know, we wanted to not take a lot of financial risk. And so we went with August. We found a space that could hold up to about 40 exhibition spaces. And so... We started the company and announced the launch in March. And by June, we took the rest of the space that was available at that building. And even by early July, all 80 had gone. And that's when I started to say, well, what, what's really going on here? The beauty industry is going through a perfect storm. Almost every foundation of the old industry is, I don't want to use the word crumbling, but is, is metamorphosizing. So, you know, Innovations in manufacturing are allowing small brands to access manufacturers and technologies that were previously completely only available to large companies. And then the rise of beauty retailers, Ulta, Sephora, even now Amazon, Derm Store, smaller players like Detox Market or Credo, 
have created a demand for additional brands, especially those that meet certain criteria or are new and different. And so the old drugstore, department store, duopoly, the old you got to advertise with Hearst or Condé, the old you got to buy your product from one of the big beauty companies, all of that's gone. And so entering this vacuum are Tobys, today's beauty innovators, who are building the next generation of beauty brands. And yet the entire industry is geared towards supporting the old industry. So, for example, um, if you want to showcase your product to a beauty buyer, you had to go to a very large trade show in Bologna. Good luck finding a hotel room in Bologna, let alone getting to Bologna. And then you were in a room with thousands of brands, some of which are hundreds of times larger than you. And you hope to get found over the course of the four days you're there. Similarly, if you want to source a manufacturer or a packaging company, you have to go through Google because you don't have a procurement department that just does that for you. I began to talk to a lot of beauty innovators, a lot of Tobys, and I learned that really they had nothing. There was nothing there to support them. They had nowhere to go to show their brands. They had nowhere to be discovered by press and investors. They had no news and information available to them because nobody was covering the field. And so that's when I realized these are the brands of tomorrow. They've already gone from 2% of the market to 10%, the best estimates available at the time. And by now, probably up to 15%. They need help. And when you meet Tobys like Ashley or Greg, you begin to see firsthand the challenges they face and how the the deck is stacked against them and that they are very willing to try new services and to partner with a company that develops something that's specific to their needs. You can find Frederick Fakai and more thoughts on living cleanly and sustainably on social media at Frederick Fakai. Learn more about the Fakai brand and discover more episodes of the Fakai Live podcast at Fakai.com. And of course, enjoy every episode wherever the best podcasts are found. So you are also the publisher of Beauty Independent, a digital first platform reporting on beauty entrepreneurship. And when COVID hit and a lot of brands were unsure how to reach their audiences, and I love that you guys, Beauty Independent, took the leadership position on digital-first programming. So how do you think the current pandemic is affecting the ND brands? And how are you working to support them further? In a way, what resulted in Beauty Independent um, hasn't changed. It's kind of accelerated what we were hoping to do in that back in 2015, and I had to learn a lot. And so I would subscribe to anything I can get my hands on, my research and try and understand what's going on. And Frederick, I was so frustrated. It was like water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. I would subscribe to all the trade magazines. Some of them, the well-known ones, are very well written, but they're 70% fashion. I couldn't care less. And then the 30% where they cover beauty, again, very good quality journalism, but they have to cover the big brands. So if they don't report on the new executive shakeout at L'Oreal, their audience will be upset, which means if they don't cover indie funding or getting into a retail or launching, 
nobody would really care. The editor wouldn't be at risk of losing their job. From my own experience, there was so much happening in the indie space that just wasn't getting reported. And so in 2017, out of sheer frustration of not having anything to read, I decided that we're going to tell those stories. And I called what was then previously the West Coast editor of Women's Wear Daily, Rachel Brown, who I knew shared our passion in this area. And within five minutes, she agreed that, yep, we're going to do this. And we launched Beauty Independent in, in August of 2017. And when we launched it, Frederick, we decided from the very beginning that it was going to be digital. Hearst, Condé Nast, all of them were just losing revenue because all the money was going to Facebook and Google. And so by being digital, we also made it easier for our audience to access and consume the content because beauty entrepreneurs aren't sitting around reading their magazine at their desk while their assistant takes their calls. They're sitting in their you know garage with their mobile phone, packing boxes and you know reading whatever's going on. So with Beauty Independent, we decided to tell the story of beauty entrepreneurs and cover the, the topics that they cared about. Now, when COVID hit, what happened was that the beauty independent community suddenly needed more support. And the value of our content became more apparent to many people who previously may not have had the time to really look at it. But then what also happened, and again, this is by luck, is we started a webinar because people were lonely. People were saying, look, we're stuck at home. We're, we're disconnected from our network. We don't know what the hell is happening. And so we started our In Conversation webinar series and we thought, you know, we do a couple and it'll be done. Now we're on episode 29. We have programming booked until the early next year. And I'm as shocked as anyone that it has been so successful. It's just it's it's worked, I think, the format, et cetera. And one of the reasons it has been so successful is the people like yourself who come on the show and very candidly and freely talk about their experience, their knowledge, their insights, and their advice to the next generation of beauty entrepreneurs. And I think authenticity is what really draws people in, is that we're not suddenly going out there doing this because we're interested in indie brands, because they're hot. We've always had this as a core part of our mission. And this is just another way to get the job done. Yeah. And I applaud you because obviously I was uh, on the front row uh, seeing uh, the development of Beauty Independent. And uh, I have to say, you're right. The genuine, the authenticity, the credibility, the relaxed atmosphere about it makes it so pleasant and so real, so modern and relevant today. So so I applaud you for that. This is great. Listen, I was recently lucky enough to be nominated for the Beacon Award from Beauty Independent and attended the Digital Award Show, which you hosted. It was remarkable to me how natural you are connecting to this group of people that are all over the world. How do you think all this digital first communication has changed our relationships? And how will it continue to shape the way brands communicate today with their customers? Yeah, I think it's it's a multi-layered um, answer that I have to give you. I think specific to the Beacon Awards, when we set out to map out the award ceremony. I 
and the same thing with our In Conversation webinar series, I was very adamant that I didn't want it to be like every other webinar. Honestly, I, I despise webinars. I find them dull, um, annoying, inconvenient, and not in the least entertaining. I mean, the truth of the matter is people want to be entertained. That's, that's what motivates us. Even if you think about how people consume news nowadays, I don't watch CNN. I watch Stephen Colbert um, or The Daily Show. Because people like to have, people don't take themselves as seriously anymore. People realize there's a lot of marketing um, hot air and you need to be able to cut through that and be authentic. And I feel if I had to give you one word answer to the question is, is authenticity. So with our webinar and the Beacon Awards, we want it to be absolutely authentic. And part of that authenticity comes from having a team, a staff, and a host that genuinely is interested in the entrepreneur's journey. There are a lot of people who, well, as an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur. It's, it's a horrible, terrible life, by the way, for all you listeners out there thinking of becoming an entrepreneur. Seriously, there's a lot of other better jobs out there. Insurance sales, for one, is a very, very safe job. Anyway, back to track. Um, you have to be able to connect with entrepreneurs and you know, people put entrepreneurs on a pedestal, which I think is wrong. And at the same time, others look down at entrepreneurs as these nut jobs. Truth of the matter is, both are a little true. Entrepreneurs are often the crazy ones. They're the ones that won't take no for an answer. They have imagination that is often far further ahead of their ability to execute or to raise capital. Uh, they can be very quirky personalities, um, but you need to love them for all of that. And, and I think from, from us, Jillian, who's my business partner, and she is definition of a, of a beauty entrepreneur, you know, I love Jillian and all the founders that I've met, even the ones who, you know, gave me a real hard time for whatever reason, you have to love them at certain level. And people who interact with us know that that is how we feel about them. Um, we're part of their tribe. They're part of our tribe. We care about them as people, as professionals, and we're here to really help them. And I think that's the common culture. You know, I'm not trying to be any better than myself, and I don't put you or Marcia Kilgore or Kate Somerville on a pedestal. I know pretty much you've told me what you have to get through to where you are today, and it's not always very glamorous. And it's in part your humility that allows you to deal with this and not get, you know, depressed every time something doesn't go wrong. And in your case, I'm going to say this, you can edit if you want later. What is very special about you, Frederick, because I see other entrepreneurs out there, when you talk about authenticity, the amount of time and energy you have dedicated to helping others with thought leadership, community outreach, just being available and going out there and talking is what makes you very special in my mind. And it's consistent and it's genuine. And you've been several years now, and it really has made a difference. It's made a difference for our business. I'm sure it's made a difference for other beauty entrepreneurs. And, and those are the kinds of people that we want in our, in our ecosystem, those kind of authentic entrepreneurs who are in it because they have a vision and they want to execute it versus people who now See it as the new hip thing, and they're trying to leverage it to their own advantage. Well, thank you. So, on that note, where can our audience engage with Andy Beauty and Beauty Independent and you online? Nowadays, through social media, either LinkedIn, 
Um, my personally, the best way to reach me is through LinkedIn. I am the only not her name, you know, as far as I know on this planet. So just put my name in the search bar and that'll come right up. Um, and with our company, um, either through LinkedIn or through Instagram, um, we have all of our properties in the Beauty Expo, Beauty Independent, Uplink. They all have Instagram accounts and you can reach us through those. What's next for Andy Beauty and for you? You know, we were at a very interesting spot earlier this year. We were doing our Series A fundraising. We'd kind of reached that point where it was the right time to bring in some capital into the company outside. We'd been self-funded and you know, bootstrapped the whole time. And that is another reason we understood beauty entrepreneurs and, and, and how to work with them uh, is we, we live that reality. And as we were doing process, we rapidly found out that, you know, we built an ecosystem for indie brands with our trade show, our leadership and networking events, uplink to find vendors, beauty independent for news and insights. And what we discovered is that investors fell into two categories. There were those who really got the event side or those who really got the digital side, but nobody really could put the two together in their heads. And it's just the way investors are. They often have a myopic view of the world. But we had found several people interested in our expo properties and we were very far along in in you know getting uh, uh securing funding and like a poorly scripted made for tv movie COVID happened and you know everything just went up uh like a like vaporized and so we had to really look at our business and reimagine how we serve our clients because what's interesting and i just remember i answered your earlier question COVID has been kinder to indie brands than it has to big brands. If you look at Revlon and Cody, they're in a complete freefall. I mean, their stock prices are at, you know, historic lows. Their debt burdens are crushing them. They're, you know, really desperate to, to get themselves back in, back in the good side. Whereas indie brands, because they're small, when you don't have much, you also don't have much to lose. Plus, the closure of a lot of brick and mortar has made a lot of their sales move to their own online DTC site where they have far better margins than they would through their retail partners. And so a surprising number of indie brands have done better as a result of COVID than they would have had COVID not happen. And the others have just, they're in hibernation. You know, they don't have a huge staff. They don't have a lot of office space and retail associates to support. So they just, you know, hunker down. As a result, we realize that most of our customer base is still intact and they have all the needs they did before. Maybe the way it's delivered has to change. And so saying it here first, um, we will be launching some new services later this month and until throughout uh, the rest of this year and early next year, three new services that will be coming to the market to really... Um, I don't want to use the word replace, but to supplement what we were doing before in a different way. Because in a year, maybe even sooner, events will happen again. The underlying need to meet people, touch product, interact with founders isn't going away. It's just increasingly people are going to realize that doing it remotely, in addition to doing it in person, has value. And so we're building out that part of our business and specific to Beauty Independent, we're going to be releasing new, new types of um, information and data services that we previously didn't have, in addition to our um, video and, and multimedia uh, series that we've done with uh, In Conversation series. 
I'm so impressed by Nader's vision for a highly connected future for independent beauty. As an entrepreneur and a founder myself, I'm certain that the best way through these challenging times is joining hands as an industry to move forward. I'm Frederick Fekai, and this is The Fekai Life. We'll see you next season for even more exciting conversation with the most impactful leaders and thinkers. The Fakai Life is produced by Mouth Media Network. No portion of the show may be published or reproduced without express written permission of the Fakai brand. Copyright 2020, Fakai.